HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is made possible thanks to listeners like you. Want to support independent food radio? Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. Hello and welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from, I don't know, from Burr's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn, joined as usual with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez, how you doing? Good. We got Matt back in the booth. I feel feel great. You right. You are now a married man. Indeed. Yeah. How'd that go? How'd the wedding go? It was amazing. It how was, was great. Yeah. How was the food? Uh, the food was good. Um, lobster was very delicious. Many many pictures of lobster on the internet from that wedding. Yeah. Um, highlight of the wedding, we pitted all of our tables of guests against each other in a cake decorating competition instead of having an actual cake. Okay. And it was. The most fun. Was anyone good at it at all? First of all, this was Rhode Island, right? Indeed. Now, uh, this, I forget, fancy Rhode Island? Are you like, are you some sort of like Rockefeller, like, you know, uh, Breakers Rhode Island? Or is this like, you know, kind of more mellow people Long Island? It, it was a Ro- lot Rhode like Island. that, except it was at the town um, owned Rotunda on the beach. So it was, um, yeah, no, it wasn't like that at all. Rotunda is kind of a funny word. So was anyone a good cake decorator or were they all just like complete nightmares? I was very proud of the cakes yeah um, they were they were things of beauty uh somebody said we have it on video that it was like the the greatest episode of nailed it they'd ever seen cool nice well let me ask yeah. you this was this your idea or is this a thing that all the kids are doing nowadays uh i believe this was our idea okay so here's what needs to happen what like are, are you a, a public or a private uh instagram um neither really you don't have instagram so i te- i have it i think you no, so there's no record. So you like in other words, if you're trying to promulgate this new wedding idea, which are hashtag? What's your hashtag? We did not have a hashtag. Oh my god! Hey, by the way, guys, yeah. dude runs like uh, social media for a radio station. Nope. Boom. Don't, boom. Don't, I, boom. Do, I do not do that. Okay, I'm just messing. Absolutely with you. not my job. All right, I'm messing with in you. Fact, life goal is to never, ever, ever have that be part of my job for anything. Nice. Well, uh, point being that like this is something that our listeners. In fact, we we know someone. Last week called in is about to get get married. Maybe this is something that other people might want to emulate. Guests found it fun. Fun. They found it fun. It was Ooh, amazing. Who sprayed highly highly colored icing all over their fancy party dress? <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't know that that happened actually. But mm, liar. I, I I didn't see it. If it did. All right. Well, if anyone knows how to find uh, 
photos of uh, Matthew's wedding, let us know. Oh, I have I have some photos of the case so, I can show you, but you know, photos aren't great for the radio. Yeah, you can put it up on our uh, website though. I'll put I'll put a picture or two on the website. Yeah. People can marvel. Uh, so today on the radio program we have a special guest because I've been told that it's better to have special guests than not. Uh, so it's uh, now, you know, I think of him most as um, <laughs> existing conditions bananagrams champion, and I believe we mentioned on the air last week he was so good at bananagrams on uh, you know on he our birthday celebration. Played six hours of bananagrams. He played six hours. Nastasio. Only played six hours of Bananagrams with him because she could not beat him. She would have played maybe 45 minutes of Bananagrams. If she had beat him, like, even once, she would have been like, I'm better than this guy. And quit. Six hours later, had not beaten him. Uh, his real job, I guess, is at the Nomad. Uh, Robert Sachs, how you doing? I'm very well, yeah. Dave. How so, are you? I'm, I'm all right. So uh, call in all of your Nomad-related questions or Bananagrams-related questions. Or, uh, I don't know if, like... what. Well, I don't know how much you want to share about your personal self, but like you also have an interesting, like like atypical nomad uh, backstory. I don't know how much you want to share that on the air, but uh, welcome. Call in all questions relating to this to seven one eight four nine seven two one two eight. That's seven one eight four nine seven two one two eight. So, uh, why don't you, why don't you, wh- how much do you want to say about yourself? I mean, and what did you bring? So, I was asked to either promote something or bring something. I really had nothing too interesting to promote, I think. So I decided to promote something I could bring, which is my favorite cocktail I feel like people like to hate on. Okay. Which is the Cosmopolitan. Right, and we're drinking them out of beer glasses. No, no, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no. I've brought, uh-huh. brought you my preferred glassware. Now, the uh, for the Cosmopolitan, uh, f- you know, for those of you that don't know, apparently there was some sort of fight, but... The abs- people, the, the good folks at Absolute Vodka, have given the uh, kind of the imprimatur of inventor to Toby Cicchini, right? Who's a bartender and professorial-looking fellow here in uh, New York. <laughs> but uh, the spec that the average person has that makes nowadays is fundamentally unrelated to his original spec, in that his original spec is highly acidic. It's very acidic. Highly and it's acidic. A very big drink. So are you? So so question being, me. I'm sure you know, like kind of like his spec and kind of what people make now. You want to give people the spec so that they can see the difference between the two specs. So, the spec I've seen that was his original spec was, I believe it was was a one and a half or two of base spirit and then one 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 of citrus. Uh, cranberry juice or cranberry cocktail, and then uh, triple set Quancho or any of those orange liqueurs right. in and, that type and, bracket. And the base spirit is supposed to be absolute citron in the original. Correct. So, and by the way, like for those of you that don't know, like bar bar people, do, bar people are like super in shorthand. They're like, "Come on, two one one, shut up, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like jerk? You know what I'm talking about?" Uh, yeah, we, we, we get in this habit. But, like, the story of the where it comes from is, like, huge. Like, there's such a fight. Like, some people say it comes from the 30s. Like, there's this uh, mixing, mixing, co- mixing cocktails or mixing drinks in elite bars, but it was, like, more of a daisy variation that was raspberry, lemon, triple sec, 
and Gordon's then. Oh, yeah, that sounds exactly like a Cosmo. This is why (laughs) bartenders are so freaking dumb. (laughs) My God, dude. Like, swear to God, everyone gets so bent about... Actually, in 1893, someone once mixed a beverage with similar things, only all the spirits were changed, and the ratios were different. Like, it's like, it's like, jerk! No one was drinking these things in the freaking 70s, okay? All of a sudden, the 1980s rolled around, and people started drinking them, and it came from a specific place, and that's it. I mean, that's it. It's like, well, it, it's like, ugh! Not your fault, Robert. But it's like, it's <laughs> no, just this like... this is part of the joy of the Cosmo, though. I mean, People but... People being like, either they love Cosmos and they want to argue about which spec is correct, or they want to be like, oh, that's that terrible pink drink from Sex and the City. I don't want that drink. That's that girl drink. But that's also the thing... One of the reasons I love Cosmos is because it's a perfectly decent, delicious vodka, sour, whether you want to call it a daisy or a kamikaze riff or whatever, like... Or, or just a drink. Or just a drink. And uh, people want to... Daisy Gender riff. drinks all the time. Daisy riff. Let me ask you a question. gendering drinks. Uh, well, I, I love a pink drink. Pink drinks are often delicious. I, I mean, pretty you much... Really? Well, you if, love pink sparkling champagne. If I see something pink across the bottle, I, 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 I want that. <laughs> I, I want that. Well, like... I was actually at PDT last night. I ordered a blue drink, even though I hate blue drinks, just so I could have John DeBerry's famous drink, the shark. Well, you know the rule with blue drinks. If it's Uh, blue, order two. Oh, if it's blue, order two? Yeah. Do you know, uh, we have a question uh, later on. I'll I'll get to it. But I I once asked someone, famous person actually, uh, hey, um, you know, the blue Curacao... Is uh, it's kind of a bad product. Why don't you just use a good orange liqueur and blue food coloring? And yeah. he, he was not happy with me. Who was yeah. it? Uh, we'll get to it later. But like, you know what I mean? But it's like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I'm not against fake coloring. It's just, do you think the average person knows just straight up fake? Like, does the average person know that it is only F and DC blue? Number F, I think two, by the way. I think everyone in this program who's listened to us knows that my favorite Nastasia moment of all time, all time, my favorite Nastasia moment ever, ever. That's not true. Top five. Top five. We'd ordered a can of uh, FNDC Blue 2 powder, which, P.S., if you don't do this, <laughs> but if you somehow manage to slip your buddy a gel cap of FNDC Blue 2, we were using it for, we were testing penetra- uh, color penetration tests for brines is what we had it for. It's intensely concentrated. So if you, if you give someone this capsule, which you will not do, uh, they'll like poop, poop green, like straight green, and they won't know why. They'll be like, oh my God, oh jeeps. I only know people who've naturally done it by eating like more than two boxes of blueberry, a blueberry cereal, mm. blueberry, not blueberry, blueberry cereal in one sitting. So anyways, I'm pretty sure I've told this before, but I love it so much. So... I go to lunch. I leave the bot- the can on the on the thing. I'd realized how concentrated it was. Like literally like like milligrams color things. It's like very intense. <laughs> and uh, and so I was like, "Yo, Nastasia, don't touch this bottle. <laughs> I'm going to lunch now." <laughs> And I came back. Why would you do that, though? Why wouldn't you just set the bottle somewhere? Where I set it on a it? shelf, but she knew it came. 
So, so Nastasia, <laughs> I come back from lunch. I'm like, hey, Nastasia, did you touch the bottle? She's like, nah, nah. I'm like, then why is your entire face blue? <laughs> she wiped it all over her face because she had somehow touched her face and wiped blue all over her face. She looked like Violet freaking Beauregard. So angry. <laughs> uh, it was my favorite because she was first, she was pulling the shaggy. I didn't do it. And then like, when she had blue all over her face. But I feel like if you get anything in the powdered form, it's always like the most volatile form when you like, because... You get, like, anything powdered. I feel like people get powdered forms of stuff from, like... They're the people who go to, like, chemists, not, like, Walgreens. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, it's so intense. But, like, whenever I open something like that, I, like... You know, we remember, like, after that, you were like, I'm getting gloves. Like, you get yeah, gloves, yeah, yeah. we'd open yeah. it. We'd be careful not to sneeze or breathe too hard when we opened it. And we, like, triple bagged it when we were done. I wonder what happened to that stuff. <laughs> I think you threw it out. I think I threw it out, and Stasi was always like, "Can we put it in a gel cap and give it to Clifford?" Who's one <laughs> yeah, of our yeah, Who's yeah. one of our interns? Can we Can we Can we put it in a gel cap and give it to Clifford? No, no. I'm um, a, the big blue I, one I don't believe in in messing with people's insides without letting them know. I believe you should let people know if you're messing it's with their insides. A very good stance to take. <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. Make the drink. Let's I, back I have on the a pairing. I have a pairing. So. All right. Whoa. No, 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 mouth noises, crinkles. Now we're gonna get oh, in no. trouble again. Should I yeah, use this golden shaker? Yeah. Yeah. So which of so that's Toby's uh, spec, which by the way, people is a high acid beverage and yeah, low sugar. So uh, how much how much uh, of the uh, of the orange liqueur and which orange liqueur did he originally spec? Was he Quanch? Uh, or is he a straight triple sex? I think it was triple sex. Okay, so triple sex is going to be higher. Most triple sex are going to be higher in sugar than Quantro, right? So if you try to make Toby's recipe with Quantro, it will be tooth jarringly acidic, right? Maybe you're gonna with, burn your throat out. with a higher sugar level, triple sec, maybe. But still, you're talking about like an acidic drink. So, uh, so what spec are you using? Are you using a Chikini spec? Uh, I'm not. I'm using more of like modern adaptations I've seen, which is lighter on citrus and then kind of. Citrus almost as a modifier and then a split of the orange liqueur and the cranberry. So lighter on the citrus, meaning less acid. Less acid, so... So if Toby knew that we were doing this now, you know, if he cared, he would he would jump in here and throttle all of us? I mean... He gets virulently angry. Does he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've never talked to him about it. Just You should talk to him about it. Go ahead, maybe. All right. Robert's using a golden. He's got a golden shaker. <laughs> it's ours, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> and Nastasia has, which we will not eat uh, on near the microphone. Cracker Jack birthday cake popcorn. I'm going to say this about Cracker Jack. I love Cracker Jack. You think it comes with a prize. It needs more. Of course, it comes with a prize. It's freaking Cracker Jack. But uh, it better come with a prize. If it doesn't come with a prize, I'm going to jump through this glass. The problem with Cracker Jack is it's not as good as you want it to be. It just doesn't have enough of a coating on it. Isn't, aren't you the person, Nastasia, who does not like kettle corn? I should probably get no, to the I question. Like, who do I know that doesn't like... Is it freaking Dax doesn't, Dax doesn't you know like me. kettle corn. I'm not oh. a big kettle corn guy. Why not? What the hell's wrong with you? Have I told you guys a story oh, no. about how uh, my family now gets angry at my impatience? 
Last week when it was super hot. They only do that now. Well, I've just kind of realized. Last week uh, when it was super hot, my uh, Dax, we were ordering Chinese food because that's what, uh, that's what they want. Oh, doing the, do, never possible to do a good pour that way. <laughs> Robert's trying to do the uh, just barely crack the tin. I'm not trying. I'm just doing it. Very uh, good wash line there, Robert. Professional. <laughs> Professional. So, like, Dax orders soup when it's 100 degrees outside. And I started, I was like, soup! Whoa. Why do you order soup? And then, like, all of a sudden now oh. Dax is like, Dad, you're so aggro. And now all he you says to me aggro, is soup. You are aggro, Dave. Now all he says to me is the word soup. He makes fun of me. He's like, soup? I'm like, yeah. And, by the way, he hated the soup. It's too hot. Egg too drop? Fun. Egg drop? No. Some sort of, like, I don't know, some sort of noodle soup. It's like, Dax, not the right weather for noodle soup. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Right. If you uh, if you eat the popcorn into the mic, uh, Robert, you will be murdered by anyone that finds you. I'll tell them where to find you, and they'll go. For it. People don't you like. You told them where to find me. Oh, that's true. <laughs> you told them where they, they can harass me at my job. Yeah, yeah what days? Which is where I'm. The what, what days are you there? Oh, it varies. We don't have set schedule. <laughs> so they, I can't tell them exactly. They have to come again and again in order to murder you for the cracker jack. I guess so. All right, now. Before I get into serious cooking questions, this is delicious. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, uh, where do you, where do your bananagram skills come from? Um, I grew up in a very competitive family that really used games as a way of just passive aggressively berating each other and making each other feel like they were intellectually inferior. Uh, and word games are very good at that because you can really like Dominate. up your intellectual prowess by being like, look at my vast knowledge of the English language. <laughs> but when I learned it, it wasn't called bananagrams. I feel like this is a very like make it accessible, like make people look like, oh, there's a banana bag. They'll buy that. When I played it as a kid, it was a game called Syzygy. Syzygy, is which is a word. It is a word. And a bad movie. Interesting. That I didn't know. But it came in this big... Oh, no, Sizzix is the movie. Sizzigy is the real word. Yeah. <laughs> this giant, kind of ornate velvet bag with these gold ropes. And then there are these soft red plastic tiles. And they had these very ornate, kind of like, tarot card looking images on all the wild card tiles that are not played at Booker and Dex. No, no wild cards. No. Nastasia hates wild cards, as we know from last week. No QI, no wild cards. Yeah, no two-letter words that you don't use in normal daily speech. No spellings of letters. No. Yeah. No. She won't even allow EL, which is really elevated rail, which is... What about AA, the volcanic rock? No. Do you use that? And when do you talk about that? Normal uh, people, Nastasia, use Scrabble rules. explain to people that it's a word, <laughs> well, it's a valid word. And it's a good way to store extra vowels. You know what I'm saying? For when you get when you get consonant shafted. But I feel like the real So playing a lot of word games like a lot of Scrabble growing up, the game Upwards. Did you guys ever play that? Is that some sort of three D Scrabble? It was Scrabble where you could build on top of tiles mm. to change words. So it got a little frustrating. Um But with bananagrams, I feel like the real skill set is don't be married to anything you've made. Like, you have to constantly be shifting, moving your board around, like, sacrifice half your board 
and just like trust that you can make it. Kind of like, like recipe development. Yeah. Also being like very strategic with when you dump, which is where you put one tile back that you don't want to use and you draw three more. Because the more tiles you have, like the better chance you have of making a word. So I, really, I, I never, I never, I don't really even care. I never dump early. I'm always just like, I'm a never dump. Robert is now <laughs> lounging. This is your Bananagrams lounge? No, he's eating the popcorn. Oh, he's eating the popcorn away from the mic. So after you to come back and let what us know how it popcorn? is. I have some questions. I will Birthday get to cake. it. Uh, Birthday cake. Okay. This one's from uh, Aina, right? Because it's pronounced like A's and ABC from Dublin, Ireland. By the way, I have uh, Father Bill staying with me now. The, Why? The cocktail priest. He's a priest. Priests, when they go around, they stay with people. That's how it works. Was he coming back from Tails? Yeah, he's coming back from Tails. He's going he back. on your couch? No, Dax is at camp. He's sleeping in Dax's bed. This is not important on the air. <laughs> anyway, he's, he's the cocktail priest, and he's going back Wait, to Dublin. Wait, do still stay with people? What? Like, they get free stays at people's houses? <laughs> what? What kind well, of question is this? You sound like... Do you charge your friends to stay at your house? <laughs> Nastasia doesn't. Nast- like, if you've met Nastasia for 25 minutes, you can stay at her house for two years. Make sure that you drink all of her wine and ask her to go get groceries for you. Right? Yeah. And or make sure that you play loud music when she's on the conference call. If you ever have to do business with Nastasia or myself, just realize that you're going to have to hear some sort of stupid crap in the background because <laughs> neither of us can be bothered to go to a quiet place to have our conference call and... Whichever one of us is making the noise, the other one will yell at them, like, incessantly for being such a jackwad. But we're so, changing that. We're changing that. How are right? we going to change that? I don't know. You are you going to turn into a different person? Am I going to turn into a different person? You yelled at me on Saturday and said we're changing that. Oh, okay. So I, that I would say we were yelling at each other, to be oh. fair. And I said, what I said to Nastasia is, is, is that no not. one thinks we're grown adults. Everyone thinks we're freaking jokers. You said we're not comedians. I was like, yeah, well, she's like, people like us. I was like, people like jokers, but we're not comedians. We're supposed to be in business. And she was like, yeah. You know, anyway, so like, this is the kind of telephone conversation I have while I'm waiting for my bags. Anyway, okay. So, uh, you know, and when you called me, I was on the beach oh, and Jesus. nobody could get through. No text could be sent. No, I couldn't like call anybody for some reason. Your call came through and it was like pristine. <laughs> 3G, like, one bar. Like, like the yelling was just... Loud yeah, and clear. Loud and, loud and clear. Yeah. Crisp. Crisp. I have to say this, people. The argument started over, and oh, listeners will know. Over... I, I'm just going to say this straight up. I'm just going to put this out there. So... God, it's not about cooking, Jesus. Okay, yes, listen. It is. All right. It's about cocktails. Nastasia wants to make this product called the Wine Santa. Now... The Wine Santa, for those of you, I don't know, that have never heard this story that show before. Machine. Yeah, that, <laughs> as Robert says, that nightmare machine is a is a large, poorly made animatronic Santa. That can also be a zombie for Halloween. Okay. Well what you have to buy a different animatronic figure. It's not like Fudgy the freaking whale, where it's like either Santa or Fudgy the Whale or a zombie, you know, or whatever. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. Anyway. You have to go buy Wine Zombie and Wine Santa. Although Wine Zombie makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Anyways, uh, because they, why wouldn't they puke out wine? They don't need it. They, they need brains, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Santa just had too much, but he's typically eating milk. You would think that Santa would be puking up milk punch. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> milk punch Santa. <laughs> uh, but point being, 
what Wine Santa is, is a poorly made animatronic Santa who is holding a, a punch bowl, also poorly fabricated, with a pump coming out of his mouth such that... Don't give away the IP. Everyone has seen it! You've already released it! There's no IP! You've released it! Legally, it's done! Anyway, so then... And you have the trademark. So, like, uh, then a tube is coming out of the mouth, and uh, he's vomiting liquids into this bowl. Could be non-alcoholic. She once did a lemonade for kids, puking lemonade Santa. Uh, And uh, for for good measure, typically, when people uh, try to dispense it, they drip it all up in his beard, and so his beard is covered with uh, whatever sort of disgusting product has been going through. And also, typically, he is... Uh, has a, a, a an unfortunate, shall we say, center of gravity, <laughs> such that he will tip forward, like spill all of his drink, and then continue puking onto the ground. Thankfully, face down, so we know he won't choke on his own vomit while continuing to dance his <laughs> animatronic dance on the ground. Uh, if uh, Stephen Hoppy from uh, La Penotima is there, maybe <laughs> Santa will get punched in the chest. His head may fly off. I don't know. May happen, has happened. Anyway, so this is Nastasia's business idea, and Nastasia believes that everyone on Earth wants one of these things, and it's going to be the next Billy Bass. For those of you that don't remember, Billy Bass is the fish, the dead fish on the wall, who flaps his head and tail back and forth and sings. I forget what Billy Bass sings. Does anyone remember what Billy Bass sings? Throw Take me, me to the river. Water. Yeah, throw me in the, yeah. <laughs> Take me to the river, yeah. Everyone bought one of those because they're, they were 12 bucks. So... What do we, what's our target price for this, Nastasia? Fifty dollars. That's not fuck. Excuse me. Whoa. I didn't do it. I didn't finish it. I didn't finish it. I didn't finish it. That's people. how angry. Family he is. show. Yeah. Family <laughs> show. Record setting. Family show. So, so the that is not the perfect cosmos. To, to, yeah. to pretend that I was going to say something nice all along. That is not feasible. <laughs> not feasible. Not feasible. Uh, like, you're looking at at least a $120 problem. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. To sell to people. Mm-hmm. So, the question is, is that she thinks that this is the big money idea. And I was like, well, in all the years that you've done it, which is, like, to be fair, four years. So, what if you get it branded? She already has. Brand sponsored. Oh, oh, brand sponsored. This is an idea. But, like, we've made a grand total of zero dollars. I put in all fact, my money into it. Oh, my God. That's not the case. That's true. I put a lot of money into it. How much money? $3,000. That's a lie. What three thousand dollars have you put? Into All it? the Santas, the trademark, the schlepping it around, the schlepping the it around. You just <laughs> made that number up. No, I. I, I so to we've lost. Taxes. We've lost three thousand dollars. No, it's my money. No, we, but it's my three thousand dollars has been lost. Invested of my money. <laughs> it's it has nothing to do with your money. It, I'm not saying my money. I'm saying in general, three thousand dollars has gone down the poop chute, <laughs> and no money has come in. And yet Nastasia believes that the big money is in wine Santa. So here's what I agreed to do. First of all, she's like, I'm going to call the guys in China. Hot. It's like dealing with Booker, like with like a two-year-old. So anyway, so like, she calls up the company in China that we deal with. And I'm like, don't call them because we're new with them. And we want them to think that we're serious people <laughs> because they work on a contingency basis. In other words, they only make money when we get product shipped from China, right? So I was like, I don't want them to think that they're investing their time poorly, so don't go with some sort of crazy idea that so never going to make... So I sent them a bunch of videos of wine Santa. Yes, and this precipitated the argument, but this is because Nastasia somehow thought that that was okay because what I said to her was, I was like, look, you... Ha- I know because she hates uh, crowdfunding, 
So I was like, look, I don't think there's an actual market of people who will pay $129, let's say, for a an animatronic uh, vomiting Santa, right? That can also be a zombie and a football player. It can't also be that no, because that's a be, separate item. No, 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 Dave. You It comes with three outfits. What? It's an animatronic thing. Now it's a hundred. Now it's one hundred and sixty dollars. Okay. Would you buy one, Robert? Mm. Yeah. No, he would not. Come on. <laughs> would you so buy people, one, Matt? Well, I thought Robert was going for his wallet right now. <laughs> anyway, point being that I was like, this is the kind of thing people like to say they're going to buy, but will not buy. So what I said was, we need to make about five that for an item like that. In order to make it, you need to make about five thousand of them, right? Because think about it this way. I said, do the numbers. For the guys in, in China, our company in China, to work with us, if they're going to make, I'm just giving you odd numbers in case you guys want to build something. If you have an agent, a good agent, they're going to take roughly 15% of what's called FOB, freight on board. So whatever you're paying the factory in China to port, let's say, in Shenzhen, which is where animatronics are made, if you, uh, you're going to pay them uh, – 15% of whatever that number is, not the retail number. So let's say you're going to make 5,000 of them. That's all they get. 5,000 times uh, whatever your price in China is times 0.15. That's what they're making. So they have to do a calculation in their head. Is this worth it? You know what I mean? So they're checking to see if it's worth it. They're, they can't know because no one knows what the market is. So I said, what I said is, is that if you, you hate Kickstarters, but if if the if the boondoggler, who for some reason is also on board with the wine Santa, boondoggler is Rebecca uh, Palkovics, our PR person, for our, our mighty, mighty spins all and sears all PR How person. How can you call someone the boondoggler and not think they're on board for the wine Santa? That's <laughs> true. Robert, this is why you win a bananagram so much. This is why you're a winner. I'm a winner. I can feel it. We were talking about Beck before, right? Yes. Because uh, I'm the loser. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so anyway, the point is, is I was like, if you can kickstart this sucker and get 5,000 orders, such that I know that 5,000 people want this, if you can somehow create the media poop storm and have this be the next electric cooler, remember the electric mm-hmm. cooler that sold all that, all that $5 million in electric coolers? Like, if you can pre sell 5,000 wine Santas, I will gladly go into the wine Santa business. So she immediately called up uh, our folks in China and was like, yo. We need to know how much it costs. You can't know how much it costs until you make a prototype. You're going to make the prototype. I need a wine zombie by October. Wait, what do you mean by October? Why by October? I'm going to have a Halloween party. Oh, personally, <laughs> why? Jeez yeah. oh, Louise. Um, we have an active chat discussion going on. Mm-hmm. I'm want, sure. Can we get you to weigh in here? Sure. Uh, the original question from Michael was, can you pressurize an ISI whipper with a tank of... Uh, nitrogen instead of using all those tiny cartridges. Nitrogen then, or nitrous? Well, N2, sorry, is what he said. What? Like a chemical formula, N2 is all he said. That's nitrogen. Thank you. Yes, you can. And I think Dave's talked about it before, using a CO2 adapter would be an adapter. Uh, and then Elvin said, I've definitely heard of adapters for soda streams and drink maids before, but a crispy Weak. search doesn't reveal anything similar for ISI. Did you say a crispy search? Cursory. Oh, uh, I know for a fact someone used to make it. It was unconscionably expensive. Uh, if you know anyone with uh, machine shop skills, it's fair. Oh my God! I Banana crunch. <laughs> I hope you she don't crunch it in the mic. I hope you don't have any sort of vermin problems in your studio. <laughs> oh, the, oh, Matthew. the popcorn. Great. It, it was the popcorn. Great. There are no vermin in this. Hey, you know what the good news is? Mice don't like popcorn. Oh wait. <laughs> Oh, 
Oh, wait, they love popcorn. Don't like word games, love popcorn. <laughs> you spilled <laughs> the wrong thing. <laughs> Nastasia's like, Nastasia's like, hey, uh, I want to be nice to the vermin. <laughs> Uh, Don't worry, I got you, Nastasia. Yeah, so uh, anyone with basic machine shop skills can do it. You have to, <coughs> I like how... Whatever, I'm not gonna even get into it. Uh, I, it. The problem you have to worry about is you really want to make sure that um, that part is well built. The part that connects onto the pressure adapter. Now, the good news is, is that you're using a regulator, so it's never going to be as high of a pressure as it would be with a cartridge. But literally, that's the part that killed that lady, that blogger. That's the part that blew up, I believe, shot off and hit her in the, I forget whether it's chest or face, and, and, and killed her. So you just want to be careful. But anyone with basic machine shop skills can do it. There used to be a company that built it. Um, when they, they charged a lot, I don't remember the name of it. They might be out of business, but you can, you can find it. Uh, I actually made my own tops for the whippers uh, out of a very high grade um, uh, food food grade um, urethane from a company called Hapco. So the way to do that is to just make um, the best way to do that is to make a mold uh, with silicone out of the original, then disassemble it. You know, make a plastic positive, then machine the plastic positive, then recast it with all of the adapters that you need. That's what I did, but it is kind of a pain in the butt. So maybe it's not worth it for you to do that. I don't What's know. What's the FOB on that? The FOB, the freight on board, zero, because I had to pay for all of it. Uh, by the way, speaking of um, Booker and Dax uh, making things at existing conditions, in the next two weeks, we will be announcing our Booker and Dax's. It's not the next project that Nastasia are working on in China, but it's going to be our next thingamajig, our next potentially patent-pending thingamajig right Nastasia next two weeks and I accidentally texted someone who didn't know about it and Nastasia threatened to murder them (laughs) not even wait for them to go to sleep threatened to murder them if if they talked the person is currently in Thailand and he said who am I going to tell the monkey that's sitting in my window I was like don't you tell that monkey (laughs) you you called it a thieving 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 effing monkey everyone knows those window monkeys are thieves everybody knows this (laughs) I've never even been there, and I know that they're thieves. Anyway, did we ever get to this question? No. no. <laughs> All right. Aina called in. Uh, thanks for the episodes. I'm listening in reverse order, and I'm currently back to 127 from 2013. Jeez. What are we on now, Matt? Uh, 376. Jesus. Uh, second, my question. I've been looking into bottling low-alcohol drinks and, found, uh, and, ha- and having them be shelf-stable. For this, I plan on using a corny keg and a counter-pressure bottle filler to minimize foaming and carbonation loss. From my research, the alcohol would need to be in the 18% range or so to be guaranteed uh, a preservative. I don't think it needs to be quite that high if it's going to be carbonated, but yeah. Um, which is too high for the alcoholic soda vibe I'm uh, looking for, 5 to 8% ABV. Uh, what would be the best way of guaranteeing that the bottles won't spoil or start fermenting? I was considering sodium benzoate, but it is ineffective against some yeast and unfortunately reacts with ascorbic acid, which is vitamin C, people, creating carcinogenic benzene. First of all, you got to sell it. If you want it, you say delicious benzene. You don't say carcinogenic benzene. You say <laughs> delicious benzene, and then people aren't worried about it. Uh, FYI, it is true that uh, ascorbic acid, sodium benzoate has a couple of problems. One, it tastes bad. Two, uh, like when, and so like if you get, um, if you get sauerkraut that's preserved with sodium benzoate, like, uh, I don't like it. You know what I mean? It tastes bad. Um, the other problem is, is that 
with this, uh, in conjunction with ascorbic acid, vitamin C, which is used in a lot of, it's present in a lot of citruses, and I use it as an antioxidant all the time. It's my favorite antioxidant. Uh, I prefer it infinitely over all sulfites because not everyone tastes sulfites. Not only are many people allergic to sulfites, or you know, either they are or they believe they are, that they're allergic to it, gives them headaches, but uh, people's taste thresholds for sulfites are widely different. And so uh, even if you can't taste the level of sulfites that are in your drink, other people can, and sometimes free sulfurous volatiles can be created and cause a stink. I'm not going to call you out, uh, ciders who I've had this happen to, but it's happened. Anyway, so um, the other problem is, uh, is that with ascorbic acid, which is my antioxidant of choice, as I just said, uh, you can create uh, benzene, but it's in the presence of heat. So typically at you know refrigeration and low shelf temperatures, you're not going to be causing that reaction to happen, but it is something to think about. But the fact that a lot of people don't like it and that it doesn't taste good, you know, the benzene is just an added kind of reason not to do it. The other thing that's uh, effective against many yeast things is potassium sorbate. Potassium sorbate I don't think is as problematic as uh, benzoate. It's usually not, I think, 100% effective uh, on its own, um, but that, that's something to look into. Uh, the other thing you could, and you mentioned this, um, pasteurization is sometimes used by hard cider makers to halt fermentation early in bottled cider. Would that be a panacea in this situation? And the answer, the, the, the answer is both yes and no. So when Astasi and I were looking to make sodas, God, remember that? Mm-hmm. What a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Remember how terrible that was? Mm-hmm. Remember like how like we didn't want to get up in the morning? <laughs> And we're like, I gotta talk to that guy. Oh my God, soda. Like making, mm-hmm. it's like, it's just like, it's just. Get, get to your question. Okay, so like uh, the problem with it is this. You can bottle your product and then heat pasteurize it, right? And you only need temperatures of about uh, 60 degrees Celsius. I'll give you Celsius since you're in Dublin. Uh, or like 140 degrees uh, Fahrenheit for us here in the, in the U.S. of A., and the problem, though, is is that the pressure in a carbonated drink goes up drastically when it's heated to those temperatures. And so there's a limit on how carbonated something can be. So just as an FYI, like a very – when you talk to a professional bottler, they're going to ask you this. Hey, I mean, with whatever accent they happen to have in Dublin. Hey, how many volumes of CO2 you want in that? And a volume of CO2 is two grams of uh, carbon dioxide per liter of beverage, right? And the correct answer for Nastasi and I was like, we want like four, four and a half. And they're like, nah. Like the most you're going to be able to get with heat pasteurization in a bottle because they're worried about the bottles rupturing. So first of all, you're going to have to buy a more fancy, expensive, thicker bottle. But the most I think that they can do is about two and a half, three volumes of carbonation. So that's like maybe up to like six grams per liter of uh, CO2 in your beverage before they're going to be worried about stuff exploding in the tunnel pasteurizer. Now, you could just wing it and pray and then throw away the ones that have uh, shattered and sprayed glass into your eye. But, uh, you know, I don't necessarily... I don't necessarily recommend it, but it is a good solution if you like what I like to call West Coast carbonation, i.e. light carbonation, i.e. poor carbonation. Uh, but no, I love you, West Coast. Come on. But the um, – so you can do it. 
another thing is that it, it, everything depends on whether you're doing a couple or you're doing this professionally. If you're going to do just a couple of them instead of professionally, you could try because if you're going to do it on your own, you don't need it to be validated by a third party. None of this stuff's going to kill you. It's just going to taste bad, right? If it starts fermenting, it's just going to get drier, more highly carbonated, and perhaps explode. It will not most likely with the flavors that are in these kinds of things actually spoil in a way that will cause danger. It will just be a lower quality product, just like just like myself. <laughs> and uh, so you can run some experiments. Now, what I've always wanted to do is build a, and it, it's hard, it's expensive to do commercially because to do commercially, things need to be done quickly and with high throughput, but a UV pasteurizer, if you buy a bunch of high intensity UV lights and put them in a box and you're willing to have these things sit there under UV light, you can just test how long it takes to zap all the bad stuff in it uh, without it spoiling and without it changing the flavor. And I've had UV pasteurized uh, cider before and it is a lot better than heat pasteurized cider. So anyway. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. Right? Mm-hmm. All right. What do you have to say about the birthday uh, Cracker Jacks? It's good. It's not good. my usual way of ingesting corn. But What's your usual way? Of, well, let's, let's, let's know where you're from. Uh, I am from the exact bullseye of the continental United States, St. Louis, Missouri. Well, the exact middle is Steelville, Missouri. Steelville, Missouri? Mm-hmm. Is this including Alaska and Hawaii? No, the continental United States. All right, so you've just said that everyone in Alaska and Hawaii can go hang. Alaska might be counted because it's on the continent. We don't count that though. You mean? No. I'm pretty sure you probably mean the lower 48. Probably. Yeah. All I right. No, this is something like people say there. It's not like hard facts. Dude, did you go back there for the eclipse? I wanted to fly to St. Louis to see the eclipse. Which I one? did not. The, uh, the last one we had, the last really uh, big one, like St. Louis was yes. right at the good zone. Right on the epicenter. Yeah. Did you go back? I did not. Is it because you hate fun things? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's because I am a workaholic. Yeah. Yeah. I was at Tales of the Cocktail. And by the way, uh, congratulations to our sister bar, Katana Kitten, for beating us at uh, Best New Bar in, in America. Congratulations to Masa and the whole team over there at Katana Kitten. But uh, when you go to Tales of the Cocktail, if you ever go, it's the big, you know, festival, I don't know, trade show, uh, convention, cocktail convention in New Orleans when it's, you know, horribly hot. I went there and, like, this this person was like, I wanted to go talk to someone. And she's like, oh, yes, we have a three-room experience. And at the end of the experience was the one person I just want to say, hey, how are you? And then leave, right? Because that's all I like to do. Hey, how are you? I'm still alive. How are you? And leave, right? <laughs> So she's like, there's a three-room experience. So I look her straight in the face. I was like, I hate experience. <laughs> and she's like, what? I was like, <laughs> I, I hate it. She's like, just go to the third room. <laughs> I was like. Wait, I just want to say, it's still alive and well in, in Roberta's. What is? Breastfeeding at the table. Nastasia. Nastasia. It's been a while. You, but you're, people are, you are allowed to do that. What? what? People are allowed to do that. Baby gotta I eat. I don't mind when people breastfeed. Then why'd like, you bring it up? If you don't mind it, why'd you bring it up? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> okay. Wait, wait. You don't want to talk about it? No. You brought it up. It's just when you're eating as an as an eater. A child is eating. Yeah, but I would think you'd want to like cover the breastfeeding with like you know, a blanket. How how is it that I'm the one that thinks you're crazy? Ourselves while we eat, our heads, yeah, 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 just all of us. 
put a cowl over your head and your plate. As though we're eating Ortolan? Yeah. If you had told me that this conversation was going to take place, but you had, like, stripped the names away, and you were like, guess who said which thing? You I, I would have gotten that wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, this is why I've said many times, and I've had people te- tweet me, tweet storms, on how I'm mean and crazy. Tweet storms on how I'm too mean and too crazy. Nastasia is the only frat boy I hang out with. <laughs> for real. You know what I mean? Like, for real, people. Unbelievable. She's like, Nastasia's like, these women, what are they doing with the breastfeeding at the table? Am I right? Hand me a beer. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Baby's got to eat. It's incredibly painful to hold it in when the time I is coming. I get it, but... The, the, have you been to the bathrooms here? Do you want her no, to have to go to the freaking bathroom here? I'm breast- breastfeeding at the table. It's... What? She just wants a small just... pup tin over it. <laughs> yeah. You just, want, you just want the mother to be encased in an envelope of shame. <laughs> That's definitely no, the baby. not true. <laughs> yeah. The mother's fine. <laughs> oh, God. I think... Uh... Frat boy Nastasia might be interested in joining this conversation of the chat. They're they're discussing what your favorite shot in a beer combo no. is. No, no, sure. I don't, do sh- I don't drink beers. Yeah, I have pictures of you drinking beers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to get in on this. My public Come on. statement okay. is I don't N- drink beers. Nastasia prefers light, flavorless beers, as all frat boys do. <laughs> she will have a, a Corona. And she probably won't shoot it, but she'll probably have it like a shot of whiskey. That's what I'm going to say. She doesn't want chin. She just doesn't want chin. Um, I, she sent me a picture saying... What? Of, Don't talk about Friday. What? Empty, no, empty oh. bottle of Medley Brothers. When, oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, so I would say, even though it's a terrible pairing, uh, a, shot, a shot of a high-proof whiskey and a Corona. <laughs> but, uh, Why is that a terrible pairing? Because it just is. I mean, Nastasia is not like an agave shot person. She's not gonna sit there and do the, do the tequila or the mezcal. I would do. Shot. I would do tequila. But I would choose a gin shot over a tequila shot. I don't like. Nastasia gin. doesn't like I gin. I don't like gin. Okay, questions. All right. Uh, <laughs> so this person, it's not a food question. We'll come to it later. Then let's do a food question, right? Oh, here's one. Not not a question. It, uh, this is uh, Jesse McMillan enjoys classics in the field, oh, yeah. which we'll make sure we get to today. Uh, That's already one, Dave. Okay, hold on. Dan Price wrote in about chestnuts, and, you know, we can't say chest... Yeah, Nastasia looks at me and goes, these nuts. <laughs> like, she, she can't help it either. She's <laughs> like, Dave, you're a jerk. A but she, looks, she looks at me and goes, these nuts. Right? Which is a... I mean, talk about classics in the field. <laughs> that whole album. <laughs> these nuts. Mm. Oh, man. And with, with the uh, prank phone call that uh, Snoop has at the beginning... Did you get that the other day? What? These nuts. <laughs> and then she hangs up on him. Classic. Uh, just thought, if Dave didn't see it, that this article might be of interest. It's about the efforts to make genetically modified uh, GMO American chestnut trees designed to resist the chestnut blight. And the article is by Rowan Jacobson, who wrote The Geography of the Oyster, which is a, a book I think that um, I read. And uh, has done a did a lot to kind of help the resurgence of everyone knowing and caring every little nuance about every little oyster. Robert, what's your favorite oyster? My favorite oyster. Uh, what's your least favorite oyster? What oysters do you not like? I mean, I'm more of a 
northeastern coast, like as salty and briny and oh, funky yeah. as I can get them. Oh yeah! I don't want a small sweet oyster. I, it's like so, I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a kumi guy. I'm not a kumamoto guy. I don't need no. my stuff to taste like melons or cucumbers. Sometimes I like them as like a palate cleanser between my East Coast oysters. Like if someone else wants them, like I'll have like one or two. Yeah, I'll eat one. Yeah, right. But if I want those flavors on my oyster, I will just make a fine. I will make a fine brunoise of that crap and put it onto my oyster, yeah. as I have done. Yeah. You know what would be good? You know what would be good? Lightly brined, like, very fine, very fine cubes of cucumber tossed in, like, like in, a, in a mignonette on top of an East Coast oyster. That'd that be good. That sounds great. You know, I've never had a plate, I've never had a, a real balloon, like a, like a plate oyster. Yeah. I hear I would not like them. I have not been presented with one myself. Okay, so anyway, so he wrote that, but then he wrote this article, which you can look at, P.S. Mag, which I don't know what that is, uh, most controversial tree in the world. Now, uh, here's the thing. So uh, for those of you that, I don't know, don't know anything about trees, uh, American chestnut was one of our kind of ubiquitous uh, forest trees. It provided delicious chestnuts. It provided uh, good wood. Um, so we used it for carpentry, we used it for, um, nuts, it was nice tree, lovely. Uh, it was completely wiped out in the early 20th century by a fungus that invades the tree bark, causes it to split, uh, creates um, oxalic acid, and then it keeps getting worse. Finally, the tree gets girdled, it dies. Funny thing is, chestnuts are theoretically very resilient, so what happens is, is they shoot up shoots of the old tree around the dead tree. Those live for like 10, 15 years. They never become big. Then they die. And it happens over and over again. So even now, you can find remnants of these old chestnut trees with these young shoots that will shoot up and then die, shoot up and then die. They're slowly dying out because the roots can't produce enough reserves to stay alive. So within 20 or 30 years, all of those original chestnuts will be dead and the chestnut will be wiped out. Of all of the bazillion chestnut trees that existed back in the day, none of them, none, not one, and they've searched. So people have been searching the forest forever to try to find some lone, I'm here, chestnut tree that is resistant to, American chestnut tree that is resistant to the blight. The evolutionary miracle. Right, the, the miracle, like, you know, the, the, uh, the, you know, whatever Will Smith was in that movie where he was the last guy, right? Like, like whatever that is, like that chestnut tree, never been found. They've tried breeding the American chestnut with the Asian chestnut uh, trees to try to get one that is more, more like an American but uh, still resistant. Never found. Never been uh, possible. So what they did is these folks were like, well, I will, just, I will just insert a gene from wheat into this tree and maybe the tree will be resistant. And guess what? It is. And so now they have this uh, genetically modified tree that is uh, resistant to the blight, right? Now the problem is uh, they want to put this into the forest and no one has ever released in a non-plantation way, right? In a completely uncontrolled back into the forest wild thing for no money, by the way. This is not a money thing, right? No one's going to make money. Not patented? Not, uh, no. I mean, they're just going to release it into the wild. It's, It's like, you know, free of... Free of uh, IP restraints, let's put it that way. Okay. Uh, but no one's done it before, and so there has been an outcry. An outcry. Uh, and there is a, um, I forget the name of it, I had it last week because I was going to talk about it last week, but it's like some website with a very easy to search for name like stopgmotrees.org. Now, there are GMO trees that are, are problematic, right? So like they're, they're trying to introduce 
eucalyptus trees to places that are colder than where eucalyptus wants to grow in, in plantations. And why the hell would you want to introduce eucalyptus trees anywhere where they don't automatically grow? Talk to anyone in California about introducing a eucalyptus tree and they'll punch you in the face. Harold McGee, who, how nice is Harold McGee? Nice. How often does Harold McGee go off? Not often. Does he ever like, like start cursing people or things out? No. I was like, yo, yo, eucalyptus trees are pretty, Harold. He's like, God damn it, eucalyptus trees. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, so it's, it's like, like. Every time I walk through Brooklyn, there's some new building put up and they try to make it beautiful by putting bamboo out front. You're like, please don't do that. Yeah, uh, people hate the bamboo. I was talking to someone it's... who had someone plant bamboo. Oh, my, my father-in-law. And he was like, filth, <laughs> filth, bamboo, filth. I was like, yo, yo. It's not one. filth, it's just like. Unkillable. He's like, it, it goes under my fence. It shoots things under my fence and shoots bamboo up. It's the army ant of grass. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I thought grass was the army ant of grass. It turns out bamboo Bamboo. Is. Bamboo. There are many bamboos. I'm sure they're not all filth creatures. <laughs> Just the ones that can grow up here. Anyway, so I will say this. Uh, I'm happy to have people call and tell me that I'm an idiot, but... 99% of the arguments against this GMO tree, one of them is, you can't possibly know what's going to happen, so you can never do anything. That's one argument. I think that's dumb. Uh, another one is that this is a Trojan horse, so that you like GMO pro. If you do this because there's not any money attached to it, people are going to feel warm and fuzzy about GMOs, and then M Monsanto's going to go shaft the farmers. Also from St. Louis, Monsanto. Really? Yeah. Anyway, but my point is, is that like, I mean, that's not a valid, that's not a valid thing. Like, you have to discuss the tree on its own merits. You can't say, oh, oh my God, server just poured water all over this lady. It was amazing. Uh, the, um, you can't discuss the, like, you have to discuss the merits of the tree. You can't say, well, if people like this GMO, they're going to like the other bad GMO and therefore you can't do the good stuff. Listen, I use a knife to do surgery on you, and you can't do that because sometimes knives, they stab people. And the people that make the knives, they're going to think, everyone's going to think it's okay because they're making scalpels. Nah. You know what I mean? Like, and then they're like, oh, well, things are bad. And then they point things that are bad, like eucalyptus plantations where they shouldn't be. I mean, it's just the, the whole, yeah, I think, yeah, all, all the like, Anyway, so that's my feelings on it. But please, uh, oh, Melissa. Melissa wrote in earlier uh, last week. About And her question was specifically this. Now, Nastasia, I'm going to ask you to do this. You have to do some legwork. Mary Drake, I believe her name, is, is one of the foremost cheese scientists. I believe that's her name, Mary Drake, a cheese scientist in the United States. See if you can get a hold of her. See if she'll call in. Because the question I'm not qualified really to answer. Uh, Melissa hates goat cheese, and she, we've spoken about this before, right? Uh, she also turns out she hates cotija cheese. Now... I, cotija cheese is like a, a Mexican kind of like hard salted, very crumbly aged cheese that you can use in grating. I love cotija. Uh, Melissa hates it. Now, I don't know why. Melissa, I'm gonna tr we're going to try to contact this if you're listening. Melissa, if you can hear me, we're going to try to contact this scientist <laughs> and, and talk to it. But I'd like a little more information. And the information is this. Um, I'm trying to figure out how much of your distaste for cotija is the flavor versus the texture. So... Uh, Cotija is a crumbly, drier cheese. What are your thoughts on Cheshire, right? Cheshire is a dry, crumbly cheese. Do you like Cheshire, which is a cow's milk cheese, but has a, a crumbly, interesting, kind of relatively unique paste texture? Uh, going a little deep in the weeds here, but if you like, do you like Castle Magno, right? Another very crumbly, textured cheese, depending on how it's aged. 
Uh, if you haven't had that, don't worry about it. Uh, do you like uh, feta, another highly salted but wetter uh, cheese? Not goat, sheep, most or, or cow, depending on who's making it, right? So let let me. I need to, I need to, these. I need to know to try to figure out what it is that you don't like. I'm guessing they add a lot of enzymes now to cotija so they can speed age it, so they don't have to age it for as long as it traditionally be aged. And you're getting off flavors from the enzymatic breakdown products, perhaps lipid breakdown products, but I don't know. That's where we're going to try to get in touch with uh, Mary uh, Mary Drake. I have her phone number. Great. And then the, uh, the I had one last uh, question I needed to know the answer to about what you liked or what you didn't like. Ooh, what was it? Ooh. Ooh, no what time, was it? Dave. No ooh, time. No ooh. Time. No ooh. Time. Hold on. Okay, okay. So we, we got to do classics in the field and get out? Yes. All right, hold on. And there was one more, one more question I got to answer. Come on. I was late today, and it was Who my cares? fault. Who cares? Okay. Well, you all say stuff nobody cares about. Why can't I? Nobody cares about any of it. Go. Oh, Bill, uh, Bill Guppy wrote in saying that you can get a copy of the Market Assistant, which was one of the classics in the field, uh, online. Almost all of the classics in the field that we're going to tell you, they have online copies. One of the ones that we're going to do, Nastasi and I are going to post an online copy, even though she doesn't want to, because she doesn't want you to know how to make apple heads. But we're going to do it anyway. We're going to post one online. Yes, we are. She's shaking no. Why? No one's going to make apple heads, Nastasia. But we'll eat them. No one's going to scoop you on your apple heads. Uh. Okay. Stasi's like, it's too big of money making operation, <laughs> the Appleheads. The FOB very low on Appleheads. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, Nastasia, we got to make 10 billion Appleheads before the company in China makes even two pennies. <laughs> they do grow a lot of apples in China. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, we will let you know when uh, something that we do is not available online, right? Uh, because almost all of them are. I should have, men- I should have mentioned that um, most of the things that we do are available uh, online. So... Robert, if you're ready, and you can weigh in on this, we'll take, take a look at it, we'll talk about it. Ready for uh, this week's Classics in the Field, yeah! All right, so uh, this week we're going to do something a little bit different uh, in that this is not necessarily a classic, but I don't know why it's not a classic, right? It's uh, something that I think should be a classic, uh, but is not. And I found it uh, in a thrift shop, and, and, I, and I bought it. And it's by uh, a person, she is dead, uh, but her name is Ruth Mary Griswold, right? And you can find a copy. The, the book is called... Let me read the title so I get the exact thing right. Uh, the Experimental Study of Foods. Hmm. The Experimental Study of Foods. And I like foods. Whenever I see foods that way, I think of the Wesley Willis song, Don't Ask Me for Sugar, Honey, Iced Tea, only he says the, the thing. And he's like, don't ask me to pay for your foods. You know what I mean? Don't ask me for a Sony Discman. Like, he says all this, like, anyway. So, uh, she wrote this book. Uh, she was born in um, 1908. Uh, she died in uh, 1992. Uh, and um, she was a food scientist, uh, but, but also a home economics uh, kind of professor. And uh, it's kind of this... All the early work in, at least in American, um, kind of food science writing kind of fell under the rubric of home economics. And it was a good place for smart women in science to go uh, into things. It reminds me, I, mean, I probably don't have time, but it reminds me of a story. Um, there's a, a doctor who was a generation or so older than my mom, who's a pediatric cardiologist, who went to medical school in the late 40s or early 50s. And I, I, my wife and I met her again. I, I hung out with her when I was a kid. A couple years ago, she was in her 90s. And she had become a pediatric cardiologist, which for those of you that don't know, you go to medical school, 
then you go to uh, you do your internship, your residency. Then you can do after that you can do you know your your, your residency is your specialty. So you would do pediatrics. And back in the day, it probably still is. But when my mom was going to medical school, it was uh, you know women women doctors primarily went into pediatrics. They were kind of ghettoized into pedi- pediatrics. Um, for various reasons. Uh, but then after that, you go to what's called your fellowship, which is a subspecialty. So it's like very highly educated. So my mom's a pediatric cardiologist. You know, Dr. Griffiths was, is a pediatric or was a pediatric cardiologist. And so I said, Hey, in the, was it hard in like the, in the fifties to become a pediatric cardiologist? Did I tell you the story, Nastasia? And what she said to me was, uh, actually no, because at Johns Hopkins where I was, there was a woman who had become a pediatric cardiologist during the war and no men would study with her and she needed students. So it was actually easier for, uh, at, that, at that time, in that location, for women to get into that specialty because no men would study with this woman. So it's, like, it's these like, study fields that for terrible reasons have become populated with these very talented women. Anyway, uh, so uh, the reason this is a classic, in the, oh, interesting. So she writes this book and she doesn't keep the money from it. All the profits that she made from this book, she put into a scholarship. So you can still, to this day, you can't find hardly any information on this woman on the internet. To this day, you can go get the Ruth Mary Griswold Scholarship, which is awarded to uh, undergraduates at the Indiana University in Bloomington. Uh, It's awarded to undergraduate or graduate students majoring in nutrition, dietetics, or human development and family studies uh, with a GPA of 3.25 or 4.0 and above. And this scholarship was entirely paid for with the profits of this book that she wrote in 1962. All right. So why is this why is this book, which is not known? I called Harold McGee and I was like, Harold, do you know about this book? He's like, No, I don't. Like it's, it's not like one of the more famous early books, like early, early like Catherine Beecher's book, or like the uh, Fanny Farmer, uh, you know, in the the cooking school stuff, which was some of the early works on it. Um, I think that someone needs to redo this book. Like th- like everyone who writes, I still want people to buy Harold McGee's book on food and cooking as textbooks for like, you know, non-major food science books. But if you're studying food science, there's very little between, like, uh, what, you know, what Harold is writing, which is a very specific kind of book, amazing book. Everyone needs to own at least two copies, both editions, uh, right? And, like, Phenema, which is, like, you know, kind of a hardcore, like, food chem, food science, or, like, Lowry's Meat Science or something like this. There's very little in between. People have tried to make specific textbooks for food science that are aimed at people who don't necessarily want to be true scientists but are interested in food and interested in science. And I think this is the template for the book. And you can get it online uh, at a place called Babel, B-A-B-E-L dot uh, Hathi Trust, H-A-T-H-I-T-R-U-S-T dot org. And in the, I found this at a thrift shop. I found it for like two bucks. I had no idea what it was. And on the inside, it says, at the request of Mr. Philip Kampf, we are pleased to send you a complimentary copy of this book for your consideration as a basal text for your classes. The list price is $9.49. So, like, this book was actually sent out to someone to try to get them to use as a textbook. But why is it great? Uh, Let's take a look at the table of contents, which is going to give you kind of an idea of why it's so good. Um, So... She breaks it down into an introduction to food experimentation and an introduction into food science, which is great. Like, why do this? Why not? She then goes into 
her part one, which is the current state. This is what needs to be totally kind of uh, redone, right? The current status of food science. But the current status of food science in 1962 is not the current food status of science as it is now. But she goes through, much as Harold McGee does, eggs, dairy products, meats, veg, preservation, fats, starch, leavening agents, yeast, cakes, pastries, etc., candies. But then the real genius of it, So, and she goes into it in somewhat in detail, right? So she's putting down... Um, you know, chemistry, reactions, like very integrated in the way that a lot of college courses can't be because college courses are typically taught under one department, physics, one department, chemistry, one department, biology, not under kind of like uh, multiple disciplinary uh, things. But then where she really turns into a genius here is her food experimentation. And and that starts, it's only from page 491 to 567, the food experimentation section. Uh, but I highly, highly, highly recommend it because it tells you how to run basic experiments. And by the way, every, every chapter in this book ends with experiments that you can do in a standard kitchen without a laboratory, right? So like she uses fundamentally basic stuff. I mean, maybe you need a couple of things like, you know, beakers and whatnot, scales. But she all of her experiments are are awesome and can be done in a regular kitchen. Uh, and that, that alone is uh, worth the price. Let me get a couple of, um, and I like her attitude, which, uh, oh, another thing. She puts references at the end of everything. So the bibliography is horribly out of date, but everyone who, most people who write about food science for gen, general population don't ever put any references. And at the end of every chapter, she gives you references for further things to look at, further places to go, and where she got the information, which is something I think everyone should go to. I think she's firing on all cylinders back in the 60s, and people still haven't managed to do this, even in, you know, kind of, you know, we're our fifth of the way through our century already. So uh, let me see if I can find uh, something that I think you guys will like, uh, that I have time, because I know I have to leave. It's 20 minutes after. Oh, my God. Uh, okay. Approaching the experiment. I'm going to go teach uh, with Harold McGee at the Harvard again this year. Everyone in Harvard needs to read this. Uh, the student who is having difficulty finding a first problem may find comfort in learning that there's usually no trouble in selecting future problems because they seem to arise, const arise constantly as research is being done. As research is being done, if you continue to work, you will have new questions to work on. If you just sit around thinking about questions, you will not have new questions to work on. So smart. So smart. Uh, reading also suggests topics by revealing areas in which unsolved problems await investigation. Await investigation, i.e. do investigation. Ideas may come from practical food problems that have been encountered, from suggestions about simplifying a method of food preparation, from studying what function an ingredient serves, or from doubt concerning the validity of a theory. This lady, everyone should just read what this person says. And then, I mean, I mean, I kind of need you guys to keep asking questions, but like this, she has the exact right approach to how to do everything. Uh, and then she goes, the first step in conducting most experiments is to read the work already done in the area. Imagine! <laughs> and yet this is something that no one thinks of. This aids in planning and ensures against unknowing repetition of work already done. They're her. And yet nobody knows this. In 2019, nobody can figure this out. And then she goes on to explain, which is amazing, well, how to use a card catalog. None of you guys need to know how to do it. She has an amazing section on how to plan your experiment, right? 
like, like how to efficiently plan the experiment, how to document your experiment, how to not F up your experiment, how to control your experiment. She talks about how to train and find tasters. Look at, look at her training these tasters. It's sick. She's like, how to select judges, how to train them. She talks about triangle tests, how to figure out whether your results are real or just garbage, um, right? And then she talks about simple ways to measure things like how do I measure the volume of a cake? Stuff that like Greg Blonder does in his Genuine Ideas, which is an interesting blog you should read now. And I will, uh, if you guys look at this book, which if you don't, you're a bad person, uh, go to page 523 and check out how she recommends recording bread textures. Ink print of the bread. Slice the bread, make an ink print. Everyone, someone, someone, if you can hear me, <laughs> Someone needs to take this book and update it and maybe add to the uh, Ruth M. Griswold uh, uh, scholarship in Indiana, just doing our part to try to maybe bring her back so that everyone recognizes her as classic in the field. Thank you, Robert. Thanks. Uh, congratulations, Thank uh, Matthew. And uh, thanks for coming back. This has been Cooking Issues. Issues is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com slash heritage. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.